Welcome back, everybody. It is March 1st, and we do not have baseball. Sad, sad day for Major League Baseball. There is a lockout currently going on. The agreements yesterday could not be met. They did uh, meet for, I think, it was like 12 or 14 hours last night down in Florida. Uh, Steinbrenner did leave the facilities around 3 in the morning, so they gave it everything they had. Major League Baseball and the Players Association could not come to a deal. I am your host, Matt, with my friend Richie, as always. Richie, what's going on? What kind of uh, what kind of take do you have on this lockout? Uh, depressed. I wanted uh, you to come home <laughs> early so we could go to an opening day game here in uh, March. But uh, hopefully it happens in April. Um, let's jump right in. Um, pretty much the final offer that the owners gave was $30 million pre-arbitrary arbitration bonus with no annual raises but the players wanted 85 million pre-arbitration bonus with annual raises so it appears they are nowhere close to being um uh, reaching a deal so um i'm afraid that we're not going to see baseball for a few months rather than weeks here and that's kind of my my general feel on it what are your thoughts yeah i mean it's hard right so a couple of weeks ago if not a month and a month and a half ago we heard that Players Association was not going to agree to an extended playoff, which currently right now, 10 total teams, five in each league, make the playoffs. The league itself wanted a 14-team playoff, which would be expanding from five each to, uh, each league to seven. You would be adding two more wild cards. And also on top of that, they actually wanted jersey advertising, kind of how the NBA does it, where it's not, you know, egregious and it's not in your face, but there is some money being generated from the uniforms as well. Players Association came out and said, listen, we'll, we'll agree to those things, but we have to have a deal done by February 28th, which was last night. That deal did not happen. So I think extended playoffs might be off the table. I think jersey advertising might be off the table. You just alluded to this. The biggest hurdle that they're currently having is money, and it's that bonus pool, it's minimum salary, and also it's luxury tax threshold, uh, which I think is, is going to be an issue for a while because Major League Baseball actually does not want to raise the luxury tax, which is currently set at $220 million. Over the course of 2022, 2023, and 2024, their proposal was to keep it at $220 million. While the Players Association for 2022 wanted $238 million, 23 they wanted $244 million, and 2024 they wanted $250 million. Just in kind of uh, pure numbers, 2024, you're looking at a $30 million difference as well. And the reason that's so important is because teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, these are the teams that can also offer contracts to guys like Carlos Correa ultimately rising that upper salary into the uh, 40,000 or excuse me 40 million per year threshold for some of these guys that are superstars but not the Juan Soto's not the Mike Trout's so keeping it at, at 220 million really kind of keeps these players salaries right around that 30 32 35 million dollars per year that we saw Corey Seager sign and the Players Association says no we want to have our best players always getting raises so, as you said, Richie, we may be in for a long extended lockout. When you're arguing about money and the differences are so drastic, it could be a long spring for us. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they can meet somewhere in the middle, but I feel like it's been so long since we've had a new CBA agreement that I wouldn't be surprised if the players uh, stick their foot in the sand here and say, no, we're not budging until you get to 85, and if it takes you a month, two months, three months, or the whole season. I have a feeling that might be the case. 
um, which is kind of sad. I'd like to see baseball start. It's uh, weather's warming up here in Wisconsin. All the snow's melting, and it just feels like I should have baseball in my life. And it's sad that it's not here. Well, and you know, I think I think COVID was a big deterrent with all of this, right? Owners lost money, players lost money. I think the owners are sitting on their thrones with their their lumps of cash, you know, and they're thinking to themselves, okay, well, we have enough cash reserve to continue to move forward and live our our lives every single day. You know, most of the superstars have enough cash reserves to live their lives every single day, but the Players Association doesn't just represent Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, right? Garrett Cole, the guys that make $30 million a year. They represent the bench players. They represent the young kids that are on their fifth year of league eligibility making $660,000 a year. Those are the people that are going to really be affected during this lockout if we see this go into June. Do they have the cash reserves? Do they have the savings to pay their mortgages, to feed their families? At the end of the day, I think that's why the owners assume that they have the uh, power position because the league has the money. The Players Association as a whole does not. So someone has to give here, and I, I agree with you. I think the players may put their foot in the sand and say, we are, we're not budging, um, but it's definitely going to be interesting. You have some other news and notes for us from around the league. Uh, we actually have some player news and some rumors. What do you got? Yeah, um, so let's where do we want? Let's start with the Marlins. So the biggest news right now is Derek Jeter steps down as the Marlins CEO. He had about four percent ownership before getting promoted. Uh, as as of right now, I don't really know what the reasoning is behind it, so I'm not sure if there's some allegations or just wasn't working out. But it sounds like he's stepping down. And then uh, going on with the Marlins, um, there's a report by John Heyman of MLB that the Marlins were in serious talks with free agent Nicholas Castellanos uh, prior to the lockout, so that might be a destination for him. Uh, a former teammate of Clayton Kershaw reported to Bob Nightingale of the USA Today that he either wants to pitch for the Rangers or he's going to retire, which could be very big news. The New York Mets have heavy interest in Yusei Kikuchi. Yankees have apparently checked in with Carlos Correa prior to the lockout. And Joe Kelly came out and said that he wants to re-sign with the Dodgers. I think the biggest one for me is Kershaw going to the Rangers or retiring. Because if he retires, I think that becomes big news. Um, but what are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, kind of starting off with uh, Derek Jeter, I, I've been hearing and reading on Twitter and in some of the articles that the big issue that Jeter had was there was an expectation for this team to eventually compete and spend money. When Jeter signed on, the idea was we're going to rebuild, we're going to shed salary cap, you know, we're going to shed salary in general with losing Giancarlo Santon, Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, the names go on, but we're going to regroup and in a few years, all that money that we saved in the short term, we're going to go ahead and spend it. And what it's sounding like is the organization is trying to be a little more frugal than maybe Jeter wants. Jeter also wanted more than that 4%. And I think that's the big issue. You know, you get a guy in at that 4%, you promise him, you know, slow liquidity gain. And then you say, hey, sorry, we're not going to raise that for you. It's an easy, well, screw you, I'm out. You know, Jeter's ultimate goal is to continue to grow his empire after baseball. And at 4%, you're really not a big stakeholder in the team. So very sad, I think, for the Mar Marlins organization. You know, there was a lot of excitement having Jeter in baseball, especially their ownership management uh, position. And now you lose him. I would not be surprised to see him go to a different organization and start possibly the same, uh, the same journey over again. Clayton Kershaw, this would be big news. This would be big news for my $20 that I'm going to take from you in our free agent projections. Um, I, I definitely think Bob Nightingale has been reporting, you know, very well over this lockout. And if you're not following Bob Nightingale on Twitter, if you're interested in what's going on with Major League Baseball, go ahead, give him a follow. He's got fantastic stuff. 
um, and he's a very reputable source. So I think if Nightingale's reporting this to USA Today, it absolutely means that this is uh, this is something that Kershaw probably feels, and it makes sense. Kershaw, you know, is from Texas to go home, pitch a couple years, be close to family start to raise your kids in the state that you grew up in, maybe the state you want them to grow up in, makes a lot of sense. You know, L.A., he's had his time. He's built his legacy. It's time to go and have the twilight of his career. Kikuchi to the Mets, you know, we've liked Kikuchi for a few years here. Fantasy implications, I think, you know, he's probably still going to be the same guy he was in Seattle. Joe Kelly, you know, back-end reliever, a guy maybe in Roto Leagues, guy maybe in Categories Leagues that you want to pick up for a couple holds. Uh, but I think the biggest news is Nick Castellanos. We've been talking about him for a couple episodes now. We have wanted him to go to the Phillies. And I think the Marlins would probably be worst case scenario for his fantasy value. Yeah, so let's say he does end up going to the Marlins. Where do you see him in your outfield rankings? I think right about now he's going uh, as a top 20 outfielder, I want to say maybe 15 in that uh, 50 to 70 overall range. Where do you see him going if he ends up as a Marlin? You know, I'm, we haven't done our outfield rankings yet, but I'll give you what I think his slash line would be down there in Miami. I would say 270, 22 home runs, 70 to 75 RBIs, 70 to 85 runs. We're talking about a, guy, a replacement level, you know, waiver wire guy. And that that's what he was when he was on the Tigers. And that's what, that's what scares me. Very big ballpark. He's a gap hitter. Those gaps are big. Um, and you don't have, you don't really have any lineup protection. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think his average is going to be higher than 270. I think he's more a, a 280, 290 guy, so I'm not too worried about that. It is the home runs that worry me. He played in that uh, small ballpark there in Cincinnati, um, so I'd be curious to see what his home runs would look like if he was uh, in Marlins. I'm trying to pull it up here on Baseball Savant, but of course it's not loading when I want it to, so why don't we skip that and I'll come back to it as soon as it loads. I'm going to find his home and away splits too. So we'll just pause here. The stupid fucking thing. It's okay. Listen to his 22 and 22 projections. You got 27 home runs, 77 RBIs. Damn, 83 runs, bitch. I was on the money. 278 batting average. I should just Okay, be how about we pick it up from... Did you I'll just start over. I'll start over from when you said, what do you think? Um, can you, do you know on reference where the, I'm looking for splits right now. I can't seem to find it. So he would have hit 28 home runs. At, yeah, you just go ahead, and, go ahead and start over. Yeah, I think he's more of a 280, 290 guy, but it is the home runs that I worry about. Um, you know, he was going in that Cincinnati ballpark where if you look at Baseball Savant 2021, if he played all his games in Cincinnati, he was projected for 39 home runs. I believe he hit less than that. I was somewhere in the low 30s. But you take uh, his numbers from last year and put it all in Marlins uh, ballpark, it goes down to 28 home runs. It's a difference of 11 home runs over the course of a season, and that's a lot. So I, I definitely see him projecting as more a 20 to 25 home run guy, like you said. Um, definitely not worth a top 100 pick in my mind. Um, but then again, it's not set in stone. It's just rumors right now. So we'll have to play the wait and see game. Yeah, it's in Nick Yassianos, you know, the biggest proponent. You talk about going from big parks to, or excuse me, small parks, hitter sparks to pitcher sparks. It always hurts the fantasy value. But at the end of the day, if he can get paid, go get paid. Go get your money, especially as the uh, the bargaining agreement, as we see, is playing out. Can't can't judge a guy. And we've said this, too. The Marlins need to start adding players, right? He's not a bad guy to add. Losing Yelich, losing Stanton, you've got to go out and get an outfielder that can definitely shore up 
uh, some of that leadership role. So Castellanos to the Marlins baseball overall, I think it's good. It's going to be bad for his numbers. Today, we are going to do our rankings again. We have first base and we have catchers for you guys. We're going to talk a couple of the young prospects from both positions, but we're going to break down one through 20. This is, again, going to be from a standard uh, year-by-year league. We are not going to be looking at our rankings from a dynasty perspective quite yet. So when we talk about our guys today, from Salvador Perez to Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, you're going to get our rankings based on who we would draft, where we would draft them this season. But let's kick it off, Richie. Do you want to start with catchers or first baseman? I say we uh, start with catchers here. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Who do you got? Give me your uh, give me your one through five. Yeah, and I think a little bit of this is going to be similar for us um, with slight differences, but it won't really matter until the end. But my number one obvious choice here, Salvador Perez. My number two is JT Real Muto. Number three is Will Smith. Number four is Yasmani Grandal. And number five, which might be a surprise to some people, is Kybert Ruiz. Got a lot of faith in him. Yeah, and I actually like you having Kybert at five. Um, mine, I'll run through them real quick. As you said, they are very similar. Perez, you know, unanimous industry standard number one. If there is anybody that has someone over him, they are literally lying to themselves. Number two, Will Smith. Uh, you know, JT Remuto coming in at three. We have those picks swapped. I think it's a toss-up. I like Will Smith at his prime age. I like Remuto to take a step back because he's getting a little bit older and he's been paid. I have Yosemite Grandal at number four, the guy that walks every single game. And then at five, I have Wilson Contreras. I'm not feeling as good about Wilson. You know, I really like that you're aggressive with Kybert Ruiz. Let's talk about Ruiz here, right? What do you think from Ruiz this season as a youngster getting full-time playing time? Yeah, I just liked what I saw from him. I was always eyeing him up back when he was in the Dodger system before Will Smith came and kind of stole the show from him. Um, I see him more as a 280, 290 hitter. I think he can definitely reach uh, that 20 to 25 home run mark. And that doesn't sound that great on the surface, but we're talking about catcher here. There's only three or four of those guys out there that can really do that. You start looking at uh, players outside the top six, seven, and you're lucky if they can even hit 250. So now we're talking about a guy who's going to hit for average and have modest power. I mean, he only played a little bit for the Nationals and hit three home runs. Um, and his walk rate to strikeout rate is pretty good. I mean, it's a limited sample size with only 96 play appearances, but he walked 6% of the time and only struck out 9%. Um, 9%, that's pretty damn good for a rookie when we're talking about guys who have high strikeout rates closer to that 25-30 range. That's when you start to worry. And just seeing that, it just shows he's got a good approach, and um, I expect big things from him. Yeah, he's definitely a hype guy coming into the season. A lot of potential, especially being a Tata prospect. Uh, Speaking about hype guys, let us run through 6 through 10 here. My guy, my big hype guy is going to be coming in at number 6. I think you have him the same. Who do we have 6 through 10 for you, Richie? Yeah, let's pull it up here. I got, uh, same as you, Dalton Varsho is number 6. Then I have Wilson Contreras. Number eight, it might be a homer pick, but it's Omar Narvaez. Number nine, I have Mitch Garver. And then number 10, I have Tyler Stevenson. Yeah, we've got some uh, some good young names in here. Varsho coming in number one uh, at, at that number six position. I have Varsho at six as well. I have the aforementioned Ruiz coming in at number seven. Tyler Stevenson, number eight. I have Alejandro Kirk coming in at number nine. And Joey Bart at number 10. So I went young here. Uh, I, I think, again, with the catcher position being so top heavy at this point of the draft, if you get outside these top five guys, 
you're really going to be taking kind of a guess, right? Kind of a gamble. I think Bart taking over for Buster Posey in New York is huge. I think what we saw from Alejandro Kirk was a bat first uh, prospect coming up for the Blue Jays. I think they're going to find him opportunities in that lineup to hit. I do think at some point he loses that job. At number nine for me is a guy, if you're really trying to take a gamble on a guy that could hit 20 home runs, uh, I, th I think he can do it. It's just about playing time. Stevenson for the Reds is taking over that full-time job. We talked a little bit about that last time. Out of six through 10, you know, the guys that I like, the guys that you like, who do you think has the best opportunity to push to that you know, top five, maybe be that fifth catcher midway through the season this year? I think it's got to be Tyler Stevenson. I know there's some worry about his strikeout rate, but he's got the full-time job now with Tucker Barnhart up in Detroit. Um, but he's playing in that small Cincinnati uh, ballpark. He's in a great division where he's going to be playing against uh, the Pirates and the Cubs who are in a rebuild. So he's going to have uh, a lot of opportunity to, to feed on these uh, bottom of the barrel teams here. Um, so I think he can either bloom and be that number four or five catcher here. Um, I like Joey Bart. He's got the potential. Um, I think he can easily be a 300 hitter. Um, he just hasn't had the time to show it. I think in that COVID shortened season, he was rushed to the big leagues before he was ready. Um, so I don't know if I'm ready to say he's going to be that top four or five uh, overall catcher. But he definitely has the potential. I just need to see more before I believe in it. The one player I want to mention, Alejandro Kirk. I actually don't have him in my top 20 at all for uh, strictly the reasons you said. He's going up splitting time with Danny Jansen. And we got Gabriel Moreno on his heels. I don't think he's going to have the playing time to even get you close to that 20 home runs. So I'm out. I'm not going to touch him um, with a 10-foot pole here. Yeah, I mean, you look at his overall performance last year. He played in 60 games, had eight home runs. He hit 242. He had a 436 slug, 764 OPS. Those are good numbers. Um, are they good numbers from a designated hitter perspective? No, but it's been a revolving door there in Toronto, right? We had so high expectations for Danny Jansen. Kirk kind of came up, kind of came out of nowhere, you know, performed better than Jansen. And I think that's why some of the hype was on him too is because Jansen, at the end of the day, was a black hole there. Had an okay finish to the season last year, but you're talking about a guy that was hitting under 200 to begin the year last year. We rostered him in a few different leagues and completely let us down. You know, I think if they're a little bit um, sluggish on that catcher prospect, Moreno, and they just choose not to bring him up at, at, in a timely fashion, which I don't think will happen, I think Kirk's got to have that job. You know, losing Semi in that lineup is a big loss. You're going to have a big hole. They're going to need to replace that production. And Jansen, again, being a guy that's a liability, I have Kirk. I'm very bullish on Kirk. Uh, again, I'm looking for the playing time. And the last guy I want to mention is Dalton Varsho. We both rank him in at six. I think Varsho has the easiest opportunity to jump into this top five strictly on playing time. They do play him at center field. You know, the big issue that you have when you draft these catchers, if you're not drafting Salvador Perez, is something you ran into with Will Smith a few years ago where he may only play three times a week. He may play four times a week. You know with Darton Valsho that you're at least going to get a guy that's playing five games a week, you know, whether it's four in center, one behind the dish, or all five in center. You're at least getting a guy that's going to have the playing time. Varsho is projected, I think, at 93 games on baseball reference. I think that is significantly lower. I think you see him play anywhere from 130 145 games if he is going to be a starting outfielder. That's the opportunity and why I think he can slide into that top five. Strictly playing time, you're going to have more opportunity counting stats. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The DH coming to the NL, Dalton Varsho is going to get plenty of playing time, especially in the outfield. Will he be a catcher next year? I don't know, but he's got the 
the opportunity in front of him. Yeah, I mean, that's the big question, right? Do they remove that catcher designation for him for fantasy next year? And if that's the case, it's the case. But you draft him this year if you don't want to burn your third-round pick, your fourth-round pick on Salvador Perez, and then have to take a fourth or fifth-round pick in Rio Muto or Will Smith. Uh, Grandal also, I think, right now going sixth, seventh round. Does that sound about right? Uh, it sounds about right. Um, maybe eighth or ninth. I haven't checked in on that. But those guys, you're definitely going to have the burn pick. So Varsho, definitely 10th, 11th round if you have an opportunity to take them. Uh, let's move on here from 11 through 15. I think we finally start to have some differences in opinion. Uh, this should be good times. What do you got 11 through 15? Yeah, I got a number at 11, Travis Darnone. Um, Number 12, I believe we have the same as Carson Kelly. Number 13, I'm going to go a little bullish here. I'm going to say Adley Rutschman. Number 14, I have Joey Bart. And then number 15, good old reliable Yadier Molina. What's yours looking like? Yes, so we finally have some disagreements. Uh, Bart is obviously aforementioned a little bit higher on my list, but kind of in the same classification. I think we feel the same way. I'm starting off with um, number 11, Omar Narvaez. You have him rated inside your top 10. I love Omar. Big, uh, big bullish guy on him last year. We shared him in actually one of our points leagues and did well for us. And I actually think he underperformed in overall what he could have done. I think Narvaez has an opportunity this season, hit 20 home runs, hit 270, has to work the walks a little bit more. Uh, I do have him in at 11 just because I don't really have the confidence in Milwaukee's offense. Again, we are Brewer fans. We know what that offense can be. We know what it is. Uh, I think with Renfro coming over, we have the opportunity to have a very good offense of Yelich rebounds. But if he does not, Narvarez doesn't have as much protection in that lineup as I would like. Carson Kelly at 12 had a good season last year, did have the injury where he was out, I think, six to eight weeks. I think it was a broken hand. I have Diaz for Colorado, Elias Diaz coming in at number 13. I like the potential. I like the fact that he plays in Colorado. That was a big hit for me. He had 18 home runs last year, bad 246. From the catcher position, that's pretty good. I'll take that. You know, middle of the draft, end of the draft. If I can find a catcher that hits me 18 to 20 home runs, I will take it all day. With that being said, you have Zanino at 14. Same thing. Got a guy that has power. Uh, doesn't play for the same kind of, you know, organization at the same field down there in Tampa. And there's a lot of more moving parts. But I like Zanino at 14. Uh, then coming in at 15, I have Mitch Garver. And honestly, I think this is the one I feel the worst about. I did not know where to put Mitch Garver, right? Had a top five season a couple of years ago, completely fell off the face of the earth last year. I think his 2020 wasn't great as well. So Mitch Garver at 15, I'm concerned about. Could be top 10, could be top five. He could also be outside my top 20. Yeah, and I think this is the range where you start to see that dip in average or the dip in power. You're not going to get those guys who are going to have both. And for me, it's looking at those guys like Travis Darnold. He was injured last year, um, but in 2020, he had a, a phenomenal year, batted 321, but it was inflated by that 411 Babbitt. Last year, he only batted 220, but his Babbitt dropped to 260. Now, do I think he's going to have a Babbitt of 411? No. Do I think it's going to be 260? No. I think I, we'll see it closer to the norm around that 300, 310 range, and maybe he bats you 250, 260 with modest home run range, um, right in that 20, maybe 25 if, if we're lucky. Um, and I think that's why I have him a little bit elevated. Same with Carson Kelly. I mean, we loved him back when he was a prospect for the St. Louis Cardinals, but Yadier Molina was never going to retire, so they had to move on from him. He batted uh, 240 before he got injured, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him also bat above 250, 260 with modest home run guys. And so that's kind of where I also struggled because 
I like Mitch Garver too, but he's a power guy, and he's not going to give you as much average. Same with Mike Zanino. He's going to bat 200, but he's going to hit, you know, maybe 30, 35 home runs. So it's kind of, um, we get to the point now where, depending if you're in categories or roto, and you need uh, different categories, maybe you go with a power person rather than an average. But for me, especially uh, when we're talking about points leagues, I prefer to get um, that average because, you know, they can get a double, they can get runs, they can get RBIs, even if they're just making contact, and that adds up uh, the counting stats. Yeah, and the big reason I've actually left Travis Darno off my top 20 is some of the, the reasons that you brought up. You know, you look at the last two seasons, 2021-2020, he had seven and nine home runs, 26 RBIs last year, 34 the year before. I know he plays in a good Braves lineup. But the fear for me is that we, he is who he is at this point. We've been waiting for him to kind of really capture that prospect ability. And he just ha really hasn't done his best season overall, I think, with 16 home runs, 69 RBIs. That was in 2019 when he had split time between a few different organizations, hit 251. And honestly, I am willing to take guys like Garver and, you know, and Diaz because at least I know while they're not going to give me that high upside that Zanino, again, has been waiting to produce, I know what they're going to be. With that kind of high upside production and possibility, let's talk about, uh, you know, my number 16, your number 13, Ali Rutschman. I think you talked about a limiting of power or average, you know, picking one or the other. We don't have to choose with Rutschman. What we have to worry about is playing time. What are your thoughts on Rutschman and where do you think he's going to perform end of season? Yeah, I think he I think we could easily be talking about him as a top three or four catcher next year this time. Um, the, the big concern is when is he going to come up? I think he's ready now. I think he was ready last year, and he showed the capabilities of doing that. He batted over 300 in AAA last year, um, and AA he was batting 271. So, I mean, he moved up the ranks and only got better, which tells me he's, the, I mean, minor leagues are just no match for him. I mean, the Orioles are going to have a hard time um, keeping him down. I think what they're doing is trying to move him and Grayson Rodriguez up at the same time through the same levels. So depending on what happens with MLB lockout, I'm hoping to see him come up opening day. And uh, if that happens, I think he easily becomes top seven, top eight um, in my catcher rankings. Well, and the fun thing here too is, you know, while we have a major league lockout, we do not have a minor league lockout. So the minor league players have reported to camp they're going to have the opportunity to not only have minor league camp, but go into minor league games. So those seasons have not been postponed. And what kind of, you know, accelerated progress do you get from Rodriguez and from Rutschman together as they continue to play? If this lockout lasts maybe a month into the regular season, you're talking about bringing them both up as they're game ready, right? As some of these guys are having to work them way, themselves back into playing shape or just get their, their groove back, Rutschman and Rodriguez, hey, throw them in the rotation, throw them behind the dish because these guys can help you win right away. And it's the perfect time to bring them in while everyone else knocks the rust off. That's something I would encourage the organization to do. Will they listen to me as a you know novice podcaster? Probably not. But uh, let's run through six through sixteen through twenty here, Richie. We talked about my sixteen. Who do you have sixteen through twenty? Yeah, I have at number sixteen Gary Sanchez. Number seventeen. This is kind of a reach, but I know we want to talk about him. MJ Melendez for the Royals. Number eighteen Sean Murphy. 19, Austin Nola, and then at 20, I have Mike Zunino. We'll get into mine, but let's hear yours first. Yeah, so we talked about Rutschman coming in at 16 for me. I have him a little bit lower again because of playing time. Um, you know, same issue with Kirk, obviously the opposite end. You know, Kirk's going to start the season 
there in Toronto. Rutschman, as we presumably expect, will not probably make the opening day roster. He comes in at 16. I do think he has absolute top 10 upside. I just want to make sure that I you know, gauge my rankings according to playing time. Uh, I have uh, Sean Murphy coming in at number 17 for Oakland. Definitely a guy that has underperformed with the average, has shown the ability to, to hit the pop, doesn't have the lineup protection this season. I think Murphy's a guy that at the end of the draft, if you're you know second to last round or last round, you don't have a catcher, he should be there. Uh, and with that being said, at number 18, uh, Max Stasi, a guy that has burned me a couple years in a row in the playoffs, a guy that gets hot definitely end of the season. Again, he has some playing time. He plays in a very good lineup down there with the LA Angels. Uh, I like Stasi at 18 end of the draft. If you're looking to take kind of a shot in the dark, my number nine, 19 is Eric um, Haas. Is that how you pronounce it, Richie? Is it Haas? Yeah, I've heard Haas or Haasi, okay. um, but I think it's Haas. We'll go with Haas. Uh, Haas, big-time big, big time power guy, um, destroys left-handed pitching. Definitely a guy that, that Detroit wants to get more in the lineup. Uh, I think at 19, you're talking about, again, if you don't want to take a Murphy or you don't want to take a Stasi and you kind of want to shoot for this, the, the stars there, I think he's a good option, does provide some power. And then at 20, I have Yadier Molina, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ageless. Yeah, and I, I think this is where – you kind of are starting to go more of the, the looking for average and power. You got Molina there, whereas I got Mike Zanino at my 20. So here we have your average, and here now I have my power. Um, I want to talk about Austin Nola for a bit because he got traded from the Seattle Mariners over to the San Diego Padres when they were really making a push. Um, and in that 2020 shortened season, he looked to have been breaking out uh, batted 273 with seven home runs. Now, granted, that was only over 48 games, but for a catcher position when you're batting over 270, that looks phenomenal. In the 2021 season, he got injured. I believe it was some sort of wrist or hand injury. Um, I could be wrong on that, but in the 56 games he played, he did bat 272, only two home runs, so I'm a little concerned about his power potential. But near the uh, end of the draft here, wouldn't be a guy to take a shot on because he was getting drafted as I think top five, top 10 catcher um, this time last year or going into the 2020 season. I, I can't remember which year it was, but he was highly touted. Uh, the only concern I have is Victor Carantini's down there in San Diego. And I know you Darvish only pitches to Victor Carantini. Um, so I know he won't be playing every single game because of that. Um, but if he gets majority of it, I won't be surprised if we're talking about him as a top 12 catcher here. So just somebody to keep in mind at the end of your drafts. Yeah, and not only does he have Victor Caratino there, who is predominantly you uh, Darvish's catcher, but you have Luis Camposano coming up through the ranks as well, highly touted catching prospect. You know, And you look at uh, some of the prospects that they've overturned through the years. Camposano, I think, is going to be the first guy that actually sticks there and plays in that position. I don't disagree with you. I think Aaron Nola has the opportunity to be a great catcher, be a starting catcher, catch you know, 120, 130 games. He just continues to find himself in these positions where there's always a battle for playing time. And I think that's why you see him come in at number uh, 19 for your rankings, right? If he were to have any other team, he'd probably be the starter. You're probably talking about 11, 12, maybe even a 9 ranking for him. But just unfortunate, time will tell this season if he gets enough playing time. Just the last little wrap-up here on the catchers for Eric Haas. Uh, he did play in 98 games last year, hit 22 home runs. The big concern and what I think we'll see more of this season is in those 98 games, he had 119 strikeouts. 
that is just absurd, right? I, I don't have his swinging strike metrics in front of me, but I can see just for the simple fact that he's striking out more than once a game, you know, you can get 22 home runs in a points league. Those strikeouts are going to hurt you. Our points league we've obviously created where strikeouts no longer negatively impact you, but a traditional points league, 119 strikeouts, that's almost going to decimate those 22 home runs. So, you know, be careful at the end of drafts. If it's Nola or if it's going to be Haas, like it, Nola is going to give you more of that consistent production. Haas is really that home runner bust. And uh, I, I think, you know, anytime a guy has a strikeout issue, you've got to be mindful in points leagues. If you're talking about categories and you're really desperate for power at the end of the draft, I think it's pretty simple. You go with Haas because obviously you've built the speed in there already. But I think our 1 through 20, there's some pretty good options at the end of the draft, right? If you have to wait from 10 to 20, any of these guys can really give you the same upside. It's just what you want out of your catcher position. Yeah, and you might be uh, playing the the waiver wire here and uh, streaming catchers, um, but you have some decent options there. Well, yeah, and again, those prospects are coming, right? We talked about uh, MJ Melendez in your rankings, a guy that is only blocked by the fact that Salvador Perez is there. We talked about Luis Camposano a little bit. There is a plethora of guys coming up and that's going to really like round out this top 10 in the next few years. Out of all the prospects that we've talked about over the last few po- uh, podcasts and over the last year, who is the number one guy that you're most excited for, say, 2023 drafts that you think we'll say even top, we'll say, say top seven so that we don't have to shave some of these guys off. Um, Rutschman, is it Campusano? Is it MJ Melendez? Like, who's the guy that you are really looking forward to having a full-time playing slate in 2023? 2023. Oh, I think it's going to be Rutschman. I think we're talking about him as JT Real Muto about three, four years ago when he was the clear number one and you knew he was going to hit close to 330 home runs every year. I think that's what his upside is. And I, I think that's what we see for catcher. I would say MJ Melendez because he's got such great power. But realistically, I think he'll be DH only come that time in 2023. So I don't think we can necessarily say he'll be a catcher in 2023. Yeah, or, or you know, Melendez. Um, and Melendez is my pick. I love Rutschman, and I, I, think he, I think you're right. I think he's probably number one catcher for the next decade. Um, but if there's anybody that can take him away from that spot, it's probably Melendez, right? Because he's got the power. I mean, if you look at his numbers, he had a, he had over a thousand OPS last year in two different minor league appearances. He played in Omaha and the Northwest Arkansas uh, League. Those are big time, you know, big time leagues as well. Those are not West Coast teams, so you're not seeing his overall 41 home runs elevated by New Mexico or Colorado or Las Vegas. Those altitudes. My hope is that Salvador Perez is the one to take that DH role. I think he's probably going to be there for two, three, four years because he is the face of that Kansas City franchise. And at what point do you want the face of your franchise to continue and extend his longevity as the face of that franchise? Put him at DH. Let Melendez take behind the plate. Um, I think Melendez's power is the only thing that could catapult over Rutschman. And you're talking about other opportunities like, you know, Luis Camposano, as we mentioned, those guys just don't have the raw tools that these two do. Uh, I think Gabriel Moreno, we talked about him a little bit for Toronto. He also has the opportunity, I think, to slide into that top five. He has everything. He's got a little bit of raw power. He's got the ability to have a batting average. He's going to play in an incredible lineup for years to come. And I think that might also be the difference between what we talked about with Rutschman playing in kind of a poor lineup over there in Baltimore and then also with MJ Melendez. Let's be honest, that Royals lineup is more of a get-on-base and score approach as it is to have batting protection in power. So these three names, I think, are the guys to look for for 2023. 
Yeah, the other one I'd, I'd like to throw in there too is Joey Bart. I still think maybe 2023 is when he starts to blossom. Or maybe he turns into a Francisco Mejia or a Matt Wieters and never really reaches his full potential. You never know. Yeah, and I mean, Bart coming out of college, you know, he didn't have the same pedigree as Rutschman, but he, he was a can't-miss prospect. I think we will see some of that production this year and next year. That's a, a great name to throw in there. But, Richie, it is time to finish off the show. We have uh, first baseman. We've got 20 first basemen each. Uh, and, again, you know, I think we have a lot of the same guys at the top of the list. We differ as the list goes on. But why don't you kick it off one through five? Yeah, I think a, a lot of these are going to be the same. I know you don't like my number three, but here we go. Number one, Vladimir Guerrero. I think that one's easy, unanimous uh, across any podcast you listen to. Number two, Freddie Freeman. Number three, I have Paul Goldschmidt. Number four, Pete Alonzo. And then number five, Matt Olson. Matt, I know yours are very similar, but uh, go ahead and tell the listeners who yours are. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little hurt that you decided to take Goldschmidt over your boy. He's your boy more than he's my boy. Pete Alonso uh, comes in at number three. We have the same first two, Guerrero and Freeman. I think those are no-brainers, especially industry-wide. It is number three where you start to get into some of this compare and contrast. I just like the power of Alonso over Paul Goldschmidt. I think Goldschmidt overproduced last season for his age, for his ability. Uh, Goldschmidt has been a continuous success in the majors up until the time in, in St. Louis where he struggled a little bit. Last year, he found a way to hit 294 with 31 home runs. He had a 6.1 war. That's incredible. He had a great season. I do not expect that from him this year. At number four, I have Matt Olson. And then at five, as we just talked about, I do have Paul Goldschmidt. I do like him over the rest of my rankings, but he is my number five. Yeah, and just to defend it, I mean, Pete Alonso is my boy, but Paul Goldschmidt, he even walked less than what he normally does. He had a 9.9% walk rate when he's used to walking 15%. Um, he did cut his strikeout rate down. He usually is right around 25%. It was 20% last year. But I wouldn't be surprised if he hits for more average. I do expect those home runs maybe to come down a little bit more. But you're, you're talking about stolen bases, getting on base. Um, I think that ultimately will add up the counting stats. I think he has more runs, more RBIs than Pete Alonzo and Matt Olson, and I think that's what really pushes it up for me. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he bats over 300 um, next year for sure, or this year for sure. Yeah, and I don't hate that take, right? Alonzo last year, if you looked at 2021, he had 81 runs, 94 RBIs in comparison to Goldschmidt, had 102 runs and 99 RBIs. Goldschmidt also stole 12 bags. Goldschmidt's been a guy through the years that, you know, sneaky sneaky base stealer. Like, not a guy with a lot of speed, but just knows the game, knows the pitchers that he's playing, knows his opportunity to just take a bag, and he takes it. So I'm expecting, obviously, a bigger season than Alonzo's even last year performance. I think some of those counting stats will go up with the new additions to that lineup. They've brought in a lot of good veteran players. I think that will help Alonzo and ultimately the age factor. But um, this will be a fun one to watch all season. Let's run 6 through 10. Who do you have for me? Yeah, 6 through 10, I have Jose Abreu. Um, and then this is kind of, after these top six, I was kind of a little torn. I was playing around with it, but ultimately I went with Reese Hoskins at seven, Max Muncie at eight, assuming that he doesn't have to have Tommy John and he's going to play um, with that one caveat. Number nine, I have CJ Crone, and number 10, I have Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, and uh, same for me at six. I have Jose Abreu. I think he is kind of a lock stock. Now, he is the number six in most most leagues, most podcasts, as you had mentioned 
you know, he doesn't break that top five a lot, but like the, I think the gap in between Goldschmidt and Abreu is much closer than the gap between Abreu and our number sevens. You can trust him. After six, it really kind of drops off into, we just don't know. Uh, so number seven, I have Jared Walsh. I'm expecting more of the same from Walsh that we've seen through the last couple of years. I kind of expected him to fall off last season. He did have a very, very good start to the season. Didn't perform as well in the second half, but you know, I do expect him to be a guy that's productive. Uh, coming in at number eight, I have Joey Votto, you know, kind of refound his form last year. We had mentioned on TikTok that he is working with Matt Carpenter, some information that you actually found to rework Carp Swing. That should be interesting. You know, Votto obviously had to retap into his original MVP form. Number nine, I have Reese Hoskins kind of in the same classification tier as you do. And uh, at number 10, I have Josh Bell. I think Bell, again, had a very quiet season last year, ended up being a halfway decent trade for the Nationals. You're in a lineup with Juan Soto. Uh, you know, Herbert Ruiz is only going to benefit from Josh Bell being on base and obviously uh, being another bat in that lineup. But I think Josh Bell at number 10 might be the end of another tier. Yeah, and I think this is where we start to differ. Um, Jared Walsh was my guy as well, but I think he really got affected by uh, the the new balls here. I think he was one of those proponents that uh, a lot of his power came from the, the juice ball era. And when you talk about a guy who hits roughly half of his um, balls on the ground, he's got a 49% um, ground ball rate. I think that just um, kind of shows that he's not going to hit for the power that you expect um, from a first base. Um, and that's kind of why I like CJ Crone more. He plays in Colorado. Now Trevor Story is going to be gone, maybe. He might resign, but he hit 28 home runs, probably going to hit in the middle of a lineup there now um, and give you that average that Jared Walsh is going to give. I just think you can get Jared Walsh, um, but with more power by going CJ Crone. And I think that's kind of where we start to differ here. Yeah, and and it's hard. I I want to bet against Jared Walsh. Uh, I wanted to bet against him last year. I wanted to I want to bet against him this year, but you look at his OBP over the last couple of seasons three forty three twenty four. Nothing that jumps off the the page, but his OPS really does. He hit a nine seventy one OPS in the shortened twenty twenty season, and then last year, even though he sputtered a little bit at the end, he had an eight fifty OPS. You know, twenty nine home runs. You mentioned that ground ball rate. What that says to me is there's opportunity there. You know, if people in your leagues are valuing Walsh where maybe you are, Richie, that's an opportunity for him to elevate the the baseball. It's an opportunity for him to change his launch angle. It's an opportunity to hit 35 home runs. I'm not expecting that from Walsh, but there is the potential there. And I agree with you with Crone, but if kind of we're doing the opposite effect here. You're betting on a improved progression for Crone. I'm ex- I'm basically betting Walsh to kind of stay the same, even drop just a little bit from his production production last year. But Walsh is going to be an interesting guy to, to follow. And CJ Crone, you know, we bet him as a dark horse MVP last year. That did not work out. Hey, maybe we go round two in 2022. Uh, let's go 11 through 15 here. You go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, my 11 through 15 is going to be a lot of the players you just mentioned. And number 11, I have Josh Bell. I do think he will bet around 270 and have 30 to 35 home runs, which uh, will be phenomenal. Number 12, I have Joey Votto, who we just talked about. Number 13, I have Jared Walsh. Number 14, I have Yuli Gurriel. And then number 15, I have your boy, Frankie Schwindel. Yeah, Frankie Schwindel. He's on my list a little bit lower, but uh, what an interesting season. Him and Patrick Wisdom last year, right? Just won some championships for people, guys that had absolutely no business being, you know, rostered and just had incredible August, some great Septembers. Uh, starting off at 11, I have the aforementioned CJ Crone. 
I agree with everything you said. I just don't know that he will break out the way that you kind of talked about. I want him to, but I've wanted him to for a couple of years now. You know, dating back to those days in Minnesota, he had a really good season. I, I'm hoping that he can find that same form. Uh, at number 12, I have Luke Voigt. I think we've forgotten a lot about Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt has been really struggling with injuries over the last couple of years. Obviously, led the league in home runs in 2020, that shortened season. We've seen the production can be there if he's healthy. The problem is it is the ankle. It is the heel. It is the, the midsection. It's the hip. It's always something with Luke Voigt. And will the playing time be there? You know, Do the Yankees go out and do they get Matt Olson? Do they re-sign Anthony Rizzo? All of those things play negatively for Luke Voigt. Coming in at 13, I have Brandon Belt, a guy that continues to impress, continues to perform for fantasy managers, even though they don't believe in him. Uh, number 14, I have DJ LeMayhew. I know he's kind of slotted as a second baseman. I know that he moves around a lot. Um, I have him at 14 flat out because I thought of him as a first baseman first, someone that would fight for time for Luke Voigt if he's hurt. I don't love DJ LeMayhew at second. I don't love him at first. He's a player at 14 that I'd, have, I'd rather have a lot of options. And at 15, I have the young uh, coming back from a wrist surgery, Alex Kirloff. Again, I think he probably falls more as an outfielder in a lot of drafts, but here we're going to rank him as a first baseman. I love Kirloff this season. Yes, we've talked off the air, and the love you have for Kirloff is unreal. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to adjust my uh, uh, rankings here because I'm not going to lie. I completely forgot about Luke Voigt. I completely forgot that he even played in the league because of his injuries. <laughs> um, here's a hot take for you, though. I would not be surprised if some sort of trade happened between the Wanna Rebuilding Oakland A's with the New York Yankees, and they send Matt Olson over to the Yankees, and Luke Voigt with some other players go to the A's, and he gets a chance to play. I would not be surprised if we saw something like that. Well, and, and I would love that, right? We want Luke Voigt to have the playing time and we want him to stay healthy because when we've seen him healthy, he's a top 10 first baseman and he's fun to watch, right? Like Luke Voigt's a good hitter. Uh, for all accounts, he's not the traditional guy that's just, just going to hit home runs. He has gap to gap power. He has the ability to play baseball at a high level. The issue is the injuries. And, you know, St. Louis traded him to the Yankees for a reason a few years back. And the Yankees obviously have had one good season out of him, but I think Oakland would be a great opportunity you know, come to MVP form, hit 45 home runs, and then Oakland will trade you somewhere where then, you, again, you get hurt and don't have playing time. It would just be very fitting. Let us uh, run through 16 through 20 here. Yeah, so coming in at 16, I have Brandon Belt. Number 17, I have your boy, Alex Kirloff. Number 18, I have Rowdy Telez. Number 19, I have Ryan Mountcastle. And then number 20, I have Trey Mancini. Uh, good old Oreos down there at the bottom, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know which one I wanted to put on top of each other, but I ultimately went Mountcastle with the youth. I think you have them. I think you have them rated correctly. I have Mountcastle coming in at 18. Uh, my 16 is Yuri Gurriel, who came in at 14 for you. I have Max Muncy coming in at 17. Just kind of an asterisk on this one. I am expecting that injury to continue to hurt him this season. Um, you know, we heard a little bit from Twitterverse and a little bit from beat reporters last year during the postseason that Muncy's injury was significantly in, in, impacting him. Like it was hurting him. I don't expect that to change since he hasn't had surgery. Uh, number 18, I do have Ryan Mountcastle. Number 19, I have Nate Lau coming in for the Texas Rangers. I think with that rebuilt lineup, Lau could actually have improved counting stats. I also think you could see improved power. It's his second year as a starter. Uh, and then at, finally at number 20, Frank Schwindel, our guy, a Chicago Cub. I love to see him rebuilding starting guys like Frank Schwindel, but he's benefiting from playing time. Yeah, and 
I love everything you said. The one I want to point out, and I didn't realize this until we went through, is you do not have Anthony Rizzo in your top 20 no, I do at not. all. No, I do not. So uh, tell the listeners, I want to hear what you, your hot take is on this, because I think I have him at 10 or 11 here. Yeah, you have him um, high. But I, I think he's going to you know, bat 250, 260, and hit around 25 to 30 home runs. Now, it depends on where he ends up signing. But I think that's that's uh, you know 10 to 12 with some variance in there. I think that's where he ends up falling, and I think that's still productive. So I, I just want to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I, I do think he signs. I don't think he starts every day. And now I'll, I'll, let's just talk about two teams here. Again, complete hypothetical. Say he signs with the Yankees. You have to fight with Luke Voigt for playing time. Let's just be honest, right? A couple couple games where you may struggle, Luke Voigt gets a little bit hot, now all of a sudden Luke Voigt's playing three, four, five games the following week. Okay, there's an issue. Maybe he goes back to Chicago. Okay, Frank Schwindel had an amazing end of his season last year. He's not just going to hit the bench and stay on the bench. If Schwindel can continue to perform, they're looking to trade those kinds of assets for other assets. You've also got Patrick Wisdom out there, who I think has played a little bit of first, third outfield. There's a lot of competition for those two teams. And ultimately, I did not like what I saw from Rizzo when he played in Chicago last year. Did have some pretty good um, numbers with New York, but I think that was a new environment opportunity for him to showcase himself. I overall do not like Anthony Rizzo in this top 20. I would rather have a guy like Schwindel, who I have guaranteed playing time. I'd rather have a Nate Lau, who I have an improved lineup, better counting stats. I'd rather have Ryan Mountcastle, who we have banged the drum for to have regression numbers because of the outfield walls being pushed back. But I would still rather have Mountcastle. And we'll talk about number 17, Max Muncie. If he's able to come back, say, in June or July and play healthy, there is no question I would rather have Muncie. I think the big one for me and maybe the classification that I would pair him up here with is Yuri Gurriel. If Yuri Gurriel uh, regresses, I would expect him to fall right in line with those numbers that you put for Rizzo. So maybe we could put uh, Yuri Gurriel at 20 and put Rizzo kind of at 21, 20 fighting Gurriel. But I'm just not a Rizzo supporter. And I think a lot of it comes from my my straight bias for the Cubs. You know, I've watched Rizzo for years. I haven't liked Rizzo, and that falls into my rankings as well, but I am trying to be as unbiased as possible. He falls outside of my top 20. Okay. Now, I think you've convinced me to lower him a little bit in my rankings, <laughs> but maybe maybe just two or three because I do expect him to hit around 260 with around 25 to 30 home runs. But then I'm looking at my own rankings, Josh Bell and Joey Votto, who I've listed behind him, who I fully expect to hit 260, 270 with similar home runs. Joey Votto is clearly going to hit more uh, for average there. So I don't know why I have them ranked below him. And then Jared Walsh as well. So I think he's got to move down at least three spots for me. Um, I think if you put him, I think if you swap him from 10 and you put him right there at either 13 or 14 with Gurriel. The same conversation me and you were just having. Yeah, no, I think right? that's I think that's where I think that's where he should fall in mine. And so I'm going to I'm going to pull a little switcheroo here and I'm going to switch that switch that up and move him to 14 here coming from number 10. So, um, question for you. Luke Voigt, you just kind yes, of told sir. the listener that you you need to kind of readjust and put Luke Voigt in. Where does Luke Voigt rank with that Guriel Rizzo Vado Josh Bell range. Is he in that range or is he just under that I, range? I think I think I put him 15, 16, or 17 here. Okay. I think I'd take a Frank Schwindel over him. Brandon Belt, maybe. Alex Kirilov, just for the, the – I'm accounting for the ceiling, not so much the Correct. floor. So I think 
I think he falls number 16 or 17. I'd take him over Rowdy Telez, over Mountcastle, over Mancini. I think um, at that point where we're talking about Guriel, Schwindel, Belt, Kirilov, Voigt, it's a, it's a horse apiece in my opinion. My number 14 could be my number 18. Um, and so it's all kind of a, a hodgepodge there for me. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I have Luke Voigt at, at 12. Crone uh, comes in at 11. I think to the point you just made, my 12 through 20, outside of Max Muncy, right? Because he is the big variable there with the health concerns. We, we know he's MVP caliber when he's at his full health. All these guys provide upside. All of them have a huge floor, or excuse me, have a very, very uh, low floor as well. I think Kurloff is the only guy within this uh, 12 to 20 where it's like, hey, if he comes back from wrist surgery and he performs like the prospect we thought, he creates that kind of that solid 12 with CJ Krohn at 11 because Kurloff, for all accounts, is a 275, 290 hitter with power. And all these other guys, we know what they are. Um, so at the end of the draft, if you're looking at, you know, filling that first base slot, you got a lot of options. Yeah, I definitely agree. And you can't really go wrong with any of these as, uh, your utility players to start, but, um, I'd be comfortable with any of the top 15 as my starting first baseman, maybe top 17. I think right after about Brandon Belt, Frank Schwindel is where I'd start to be like, eh, you know, I'm not too feeling uh, too comfortable with these players. Well, yeah, and it's hard, too, because you talk about Vladdy losing that third base eligibility. Uh, he is basically now just a first first baseman or a utility guy if somehow you have another first baseman. Uh, the CBS Fantasy Sports Podcast, Fantasy Baseball Podcast, is one that you and I really like to follow. One of the guys on there in one of his big drafts ended up drafting Vlad and Freddie Freeman first and second round because it just ended up falling to him like that. And I think that's kind of the fear that you have to watch out for. If you're in a position there, maybe four or five first round to take Vladdy, you've got to be mindful that some of these guys that we just talked about from 12 to 20 that do provide value, they they will not be nearly as valuable on your team. You're going to have to use them as utility slots. You might be better first round passing up on Vladdy and taking an outfielder, maybe taking a Harper, maybe taking somebody else because first base is very deep, right? We're not talking about third base with Devers and only a few other classifications when we talk about it down the road, but definitely some value at the end of that uh, 12 to 20 area. And I think this is a position where just rely on the fact that there is depth and try and fill in the rest of your roster accordingly. Yeah, I agree. And it all is going to play on uh, or depend, I should say, on if you're doing auction or um, snake drafts. And that's something you got to take into account. Definitely would say maybe build out a roadmap of what you want to do. Let's say you want to spend, I don't know, say $50 on Vlad versus $35.40 on Freddie Freeman or, you know, spend 20 to 30 bucks on one of these mid-tier guys like uh pete alonzo maddelson or paul goldschmidt or you know, yeah. are all things you should uh, account into before you go into draft or you know spend five dollars on alex kirloff get 45 home runs 135 rbis he's gonna bat 405 you know having the incredible season no those are just my uh, fantasies <sighs> <laughs> but we're not we're not playing mlb the show matt i i didn't even know that mlb the show that i could hit 405 anymore juan soto is currently struggling in my newest franchise so oh, God. that does wrap it for the day though richie has to go and get an oil change so we sadly have to say <laughs> goodbye to all of you um it was great. Great episode. We are going to go ahead and do some more rankings next time. We will probably do second and maybe shortstop. We will keep you updated. We will also be keeping you updated on the CBA. You know, hopefully more news to come. Hopefully they kind of hash something out. The negotiations are moving back to New York. So that's always a bonus. You know, they will hopefully be having daily meetings. Um, and hopefully we have baseball sooner than later. But uh, time will tell. 
Uh, thank you uh, again, Richie. And before I, we before we leave, I want to pop quiz. For who will be the first first baseman um, to come up as far as prospects go? Not named Tristan Casas. Ready, go. Oh, it's Spencer Torkelson. Easy. Oh, well, he's kind of a third baseman, but I'll give it to you. Fair enough. I mean, you got to think about ESPN. I looked today again just to do a little bit of uh, roster dynasty movement. He's not a third baseman there. Now, I know the Tigers want him to come up as a third baseman, but in the reality sense, like every expert that I listen to says you know, he's a first baseman. I think ultimately he's going to have to play first. They'll try him out at third. It'll be like the Ryan Braun attempt, right? Where it's like, okay, he's so good with the bat. He sucks at third. I guess we have to move him to first. So you're saying he's on steroids. Um, maybe Matt Gamble was a better you know, comp there because uh, Gamble was a <laughs> I'm great I'm just hitter. messing with you. But all right, everybody, we have to let Richie go and service his engine. Have a fantastic night. We will see you next week. Uh, take care, guys.